Well, thank you, worship team, and good morning, everyone. Welcome to second service here at MRCC. Welcome to everybody who's joining us online and live stream now. It's good to be with you. And can I just, before anything else, I want to thank if you were one of the 110 people in second service last week who got stuck sitting in the foyer, uh, thank you for your grace and your patience. That was a lot of bodies in the foyer, and if that was you, sure appreciate your uh, your good spirit about it. But uh, last week at Easter, over 1,300 people here, and huge thanks to the traffic teams, to the ushers, to the kids' volunteers. Can we just appreciate everybody who made that happen last week? And thanks, uh, thanks for your patience. And it's, it's fun to watch the construction going, isn't it, huh? Those guys are flying. They laid the foundation this week already. They're just moving really fast, and we're hugely thankful for that. You know, it's been on my heart a lot lately to think back over all the years of all the people like you and me who gave so faithfully and continually so that that children's building is going up, you know, completely debt-free. It's no strain to the church at all. And it's because so many of us for so long have been so faithful in giving. So if that's been you, huge thanks to you. This is some of the fruit of our giving, and it's going to go on for generations. I think I shared meeting an elderly lady who her and her husband came to this property when there was no buildings here, and now she drives by and sees everything that's happening and, you know, feels that coming full circle. So if you're one of those, huge thanks to you. I, I, I feel great this morning. My wife's back home. I'm properly dressed. I have underwear on. It's all good uh, today. So everything's right in my world. Um, you probably didn't need to know that, but just a few, uh, f- few quick announcements, and then we'll open God's Word uh, together this morning. So first of all, uh, our missions team's back from Uganda, and uh, next Sunday afternoon is our missions team lunch. Uh, that's when the team is going to kind of share about everything that happened, and if you've thought about getting involved with the missions team, about becoming part of, of that group, you can, you're invited to join us for that lunch. You're invited anyway, but if you're interested in getting uh, involved with the team, we'd love to have you. Yeah, and that's going to happen next Sunday after third service. As always, there's no cost. It's free, but um, you're invited. So missions team lunch happens next weekend. Uh, coming up in just a, f- a few, well, I guess about a month will be the men's retreat uh, over in Tri-Cities. You heard Pastor Weston talk about that. We've got a whole lodge reserved for the fellows from our church. So that's coming up. You can sign up at the guest center, contact the church office for more details. Uh, as well, coming up on the 20th of May, uh, is the ladies' spring tea. Uh, and ladies, you're all invited to be a part of that. If you would be interested, willing to host a table, you know, kind of set a table, decorate a table for the ladies' spring tea, we'd love to hear from you. Give the church office a call, stop by the guest center, and we can get you connected with that. And then something really uh, unique and different and special coming up on the 6th of May is a Saturday. And we're going to do something we haven't done for a few years, uh, but it's what's called the the Living a Called Life Workshop. Now, let me share with you a little bit about what this is. It's a full day, 8 to 3.30, spent here in the sanctuary around tables, having a guided experience with the Holy Spirit about the calling that God has on your life. Now, now here's what the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 2, that the coming of the Holy Spirit, that his ministry is to plant dreams and visions in our hearts. And he does that way down deep. 
And he does it for the young. He does it for the old, the Bible says. He does it for men. He does it for women, the scripture says. And the living a called life, it's a special day uh, in which you go through an experience with the Holy Spirit. Uh, I just provide some guidance throughout the day. But it's about you discovering what that calling is. And you know, you, you may say, well, Pastor Greg, I'm at the end of my life. Hey, Moses' calling came full circle in his 80s. Abraham's in his 90s. You say, well, I, I'm young. I'm just a teenager. Hey, David's calling began when he was a teenager. Samuel's calling even younger. So there's no cost for this. It is a full day. So we're giving you plenty of, uh, uh, you know, advance notice. You can kind of prepare for it. There's no child care that day. This is for you. But uh, living a called life, you can sign up for it in the guest center, contact the church office, sign up online, you know, scan that code on the seat in front of you. But you're invited to be a part of that. It's a pretty unique experience. I've taught it for many years, but it's been a few years since I taught it last. And uh, I'm looking forward to, to spending that Saturday with some of us. So May 6th coming up. All right, grab your Bible if you would this morning, church, and open it to Luke's Gospel, chapter 7. And um, we're going to continue this road trip with Jesus, this journey together through Luke's gospel together this morning. You remember what we said at the outset? Jesus warned us that there would be a lot of deep fakes about him. That's what we call them these days. A lot of people pretending to be him. A lot of people using his name and attaching it to all sorts of causes and movements. And Jesus says, you want to watch out for them. He says, you want to be careful about that. Not everybody who says to me, Lord, is really mine. Paul in Corinthians says, a lot of people preach a Jesus other than the real Jesus. And how can we know the difference? Well, it's by getting to know him well. And this road trip in Luke is designed to help you do that. And we're in chapter 7 this morning, beginning with verse 1. And, and let me begin by asking you this today. Who, who has authority over you? Whose authority over you do you respect? Do you embrace? Do you delight in? Who has authority over you? A lot of us struggle to, to submit to authority. I'm, I'm forever grateful for my time in the military in the sense that it taught me not to fear authority. It taught me that I'm not diminished by being under command. But who has authority over you? I ask that question because Jesus is going to point us to a man who understood Jesus' authority over him. And as a result, as a result, he experienced God in a profound way. And, and Jesus wants to talk to us about that this morning. You, you heard about the government agricultural inspector who showed up unannounced on a dairy farm for a health inspection. And when he started into the barn, to go into the barn, the rancher came running out of his house on the porch and said, hey, 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 don't go in there. You can't go in there. The man turned and looked at him. He was used to this kind of thing. He said, sir, I'm the state health inspector. I have authority to enter your barn. The farmer said, I don't care who you are. You can't go in there. Sure that he had caught the farmer in a violation, the inspector held up his badge and he said, I can go wherever I want on your farm. This badge gives me authority. No, it doesn't, the farmer said. Yes, it does, the inspector said, angry now. And he threw open the barn door. But of course, when he did that, a huge loose bull came charging at him out of the back of the barn. And as he took off running across the yard and screaming for help, the farmer just laughed and said, show him your badge. 
<laughs> right, right. Yeah. Yeah, authority. We struggle with it. But authority exists for our benefit. And this is why God's word says this. Hear this. Your father says this to you this morning. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Humble yourself before God. Humble yourself before your Savior, before the Son of God. Humble yourself before the Lord, in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. There's some uh, grammatical wordplay that doesn't come through in English, but the idea is that he will lift you up on the inside. This isn't like a shortcut formula to fame. It's talking about what happens in our spirits and in our soul. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. So, So let me ask you this. How much authority does Jesus have in your life? How, how much authority does he really have in your life? Can he tell you to do something and trust that you'll do it? Does he have that kind of authority in your life? I'm just inviting you to ask yourself as your fellow human being. Can he change your mind? Or, or do you pretty much decide what you think, what you believe, and that's the way it is? Can he tell you that you're wrong? Can he walk right up to you and say, you know what, you're wrong about this. I want to change your mind. And, and you would receive that from him. What parts of your life does he have authority over? Does he have authority over your temper? Does he have authority over your tongue? How about your financial life? Does he have authority over that? How about your fears? Does Jesus have authority over your fears? How about your sexuality? Does Jesus have authority over that? Have you yielded that to him? How about your ambitions? Does he have authority over your ambitions? How about your politics? Does he have authority over your politics? We go on and on about this. But the reality is that Jesus offers us his authority. And the most dangerous place that we can be is outside of his authority. And the most secure and blessed place we can be is inside his authority. As a parent, you want your kids to embrace your authority because you're for them, because you know more about the world than they do, because you love them, you want to protect and guide them. And, and in the same spirit, God desires that we would receive his authority, but we don't always. You've heard about our current dog, uh, Border Collie, named Ellie. Before Ellie, we had another Border Collie named Tyler, and and he was just the sweetest and, and smartest and most submissive part of our family. We joked, uh, you know, we had a little cartoon on our fridge that said, beware of dog. And then the caption says, I'm afraid somebody will step on him. That was Tyler, right? He was just this sweet dog and so submissive, remarkably so, except when it came to cats. Now, I don't know where he got the attitude about cats, but... <laughs> He just didn't have that. And so he would be so obedient and submissive unless there was a cat involved, and then he just had to chase it. I'll never forget the day that he took off after a cat, and I was yelling at him, and 99 times out of 100, all I had to do was raise my voice, and he would respond, but not this time. Straight out into the freeway at 11 years old, and he got hit by an SUV and killed. We remember thinking, my goodness, Tyler, you were so much under authority except when it came to cats. Now, the flip side of it is that's what cats do. They just, they're evil, you know. They just make <laughs> things like that happen. But I'm kidding. I'm joking. But here's the thing. 
Does Jesus have enough authority over your life to stop you when you're headed into the road? That's worth thinking about. Does he have enough authority in your life to guide and direct you into his blessing? So in Luke chapter 7 this morning, we find out that Jesus gave his greatest compliment to a man who understood authority. And that's, that's where our uh, Luke chapter 7 verse 1 picks up. Let's, let's walk through God's word together this morning. The Bible says that when Jesus had finished saying all this, what was the all this? It was the sermon on the plain. We spent the last four weeks before Easter hearing his teaching. When Jesus had, Jesus had finished saying all this in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now that's, that's significant because Capernaum was a Roman trade city largely populated by Gentiles. Up to this point in Luke's gospel, Jesus has mainly moved among Jews, among the people of Israel and the synagogue and so forth. Now there's a very specific shift that a first century reader would have immediately picked up on. We need little help with. When the Bible says Jesus went into Capernaum, what he's saying is he's going beyond Israel. He's going beyond Jewishness. Now, you know, if dig deep in your Bible, you're going to find out that God's plan all along was to make Israel the people who sought the Gentiles, who shared the good news of who God is with the Gentiles. But they'd forgotten that by now. And so when Jesus goes into Capernaum, this is unexpected. Prophets, rabbis, they stay among the Jews, but Jesus didn't. He goes into Capernaum. And there, a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus, and he sent some elders of the Jews to him, some leaders, some spiritual leaders among the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. Now, why did he do that? We're going to find out in a moment that he was very much in touch with this unusual faith that was happening in Israel. When they came to Jesus, these elders that he sent, they pleaded earnestly with him. They said, this man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. In other words, this is a guy who takes our faith seriously, has in fact embraced our faith. Now let's take just a moment and digest some details. First of all, the man's a centurion. It's rough to get a grip on this, but try. He is an officer in a foreign army occupying Israel. Okay, if, you know, if, if we were to reach for a 21st century equivalent, what if our country was occupied by China and this was a Chinese officer? That's kind of how it would feel. He's a Roman centurion. And why, didn't he, why did he send some elders to the Jews and not go himself? We're going to see about that in a moment. But the elders say he loves our nation. He loves our nation in a real and genuine way. He's helped build our synagogue, but, but it's not the same as Herod. You know, Herod built the temple, but Herod was always just playing politics. I'm going to give the religious folks some of what they want so that they'll think I'm on their side when I'm not really. That was Herod's vibe. This centurion has got something very different going on. And it's a reminder, church, that we are called to live above our nationalism. We are called to live beyond our Americanness. The Bible puts it this way back in Leviticus chapter 19 when God spoke to Israel, he said this, when a stranger sojourns in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger, the refugee, the alien who sojourns with you. You shall treat him as a native among you and you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers, you were refugees in the land of Egypt and I am the Lord your God. This Roman centurion had a, a sense of that, had a sense of a, a, an authority beyond his nation. 
Paul reminds us of the same thing over in Philippians 3 when he says, our citizenship as followers of Jesus is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to understand that Christians have a loyalty above our nation. This Roman centurion knows that. And his attitude about such things really shows up in the next couple of verses. Look at verse 6 and 7. So Jesus went with them, and he was not far from the house. Now, check this out. When the centurion, this guy's a boss man. He's a commander of a, a hundred or a thousand. Centurion can mean either. He sent friends to say to Jesus, Lord, don't trouble yourself. I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. Wow. Is there anybody that you would say that kind of thing to? <laughs> I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. That's why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. You want to talk about humility. You know, we said at the outset that God says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. This Roman soldier gets that. He's not puffed up because he's accomplished or achieved something. He's not filled with his reputation and, and lording it over other people because he's climbed the ladder to a certain point. He's got a very different attitude. And he shows a great sensitivity to, to Jewish sensibilities. You see, in those days, Jews felt that if a Gentile, a non-Jew, came into their home, they somehow defiled their home. Nothing more clearly illustrates how far they had wandered from the God of the Old Testament than that kind of attitude. But it was prevalent in those days. And so the centurion says, Jesus, you're a Jew. You don't need to come into my Gentile home. I, I'm a Gentile. I, I, I don't even dare approach you. The humility is overwhelming. You know, I remember when I was a new believer and pastor was teaching us about prayer and there was so much I didn't know. And one of the things he taught was that, you know, in, 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 uh, in Israel, sometimes when, when you were really earnest and serious about prayer, you would pray prostrate on the ground with your forehead on the earth and your hands outstretched in surrender as a sign of respect for God's authority. I thought to myself, wow, I want to do that. I'm going to try that. Can I tell you that all those years ago, I started to pray like that, and I still often pray like that. On Sunday mornings, we have a staff prayer meeting, but right after that, I have a little prayer time by myself in my office before I come over here, and I love to do it like that because there is something beautiful and sweet and wonderful and surrendered about pressing my forehead to the earth and stretching out my hands before my God, my Savior. And this Roman centurion is feeling that kind of thing. And as a consequence, it's completely shaping his attitude, the way he relates to others. I read a story this week about a Los Angeles County police officer named Elton Simmons, who just retired a couple of years ago. But during his career as a Los Angeles police officer, he made over 25,000 traffic stops. Just think about that. If, if, if you don't look forward to the police lights in your rearview mirror pulling you over, imagine how this guy feels about having to be the one who does it. 25,000 traffic stops. And yet, here was what was shared at his retirement. With over 25,000 traffic stops, stopping people who were already ornery for being pulled over, he did not in his entire career receive one single complaint about a traffic stop. Not one. People were amazed. His supervisor explained, it's his attitude. He just never acts like he's better than anyone. He's always respectful. He has 
a humility about him that everybody feels. And so 25,000 traffic stops. See, church, when we humble ourselves, it invades every part of our life. It affects every part of our life. It changes how we relate. It changes how we behave. And that's what was happening with this Roman soldier. And that's the idea of what James shared with us at the outset. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Let me ask you, do you have a habit of deliberately humbling yourself before Jesus? It's life-changing if you choose it. This centurion chose it. His attitude isn't just temperate. It's because he understands something that God wants you and me to understand this morning. Look at what he says, verses 7 and 8. He says, but say the word. I don't deserve to have you under my roof. I don't deserve to approach you directly. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I have authority. I'm under authority. I tell this one, go, and he goes. That one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. And Jesus, I know you have that kind of authority in my life. Even though I'm a Roman centurion from another place, I know you have that authority in my life. And Jesus' reaction is amazing, literally. The scripture says that he responded by being amazed. Matthew puts it this way. I tell you the truth, men... Oh, I'm, I'm sorry, I skipped ahead. <laughs> Jesus says uh, to him that he is amazed by the man's faith. You know, I would have thought, I would have assumed that Jesus can't be amazed. He's the son of God. He can't be astonished, as Matthew puts it. He can't be surprised. He can't be moved in that way. He's Jesus. But the Bible tells us that he was amazed and moved by this man. Look at verses 9 and 10. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. And then the man who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. Jesus was amazed. That's, that's, when I think of seeking to please God in my life, I think of this Roman centurion who by choosing to humble himself blew Jesus' mind. That's how we say it in the 21st century. Just captured his heart with his faith. I know that sometimes Jesus is amazed at me, but not usually for good reasons. Anybody say amen to that? This week I was running around really busy and I went into a bank and as I approached the big glass door, it said pull to open, but I just walked right into it. <laughs> and a bruise on my head made everybody laugh. It's not that kind of amazement in this moment. Matthew tells us a little more. Matthew tells us that when Jesus heard this, he was astonished and said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I've not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. And I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside. It's not enough to just be Jewish. It's not enough to just hang out in Israel, but to accept the authority of God by faith and to live within it. Jesus said that's the bottom line. That's the last word. To put it another way, there's a lot of people who have Jesus for their mascot, but it's the ones who have him as their master who capture his attention. If there is inside of you a desire to please the Son of God because he died on the cross for your sins, let me invite you to understand that you can please him deeply, 
when you embrace his authority, when you say, Lord, you're my master. You're not just my teacher, my guru, my spiritual influencer. You're not just my inspirational pick-me-up person. You are my king, my Lord, my master. You will experience God when you respect Jesus' authority. Let me say that again. You will experience God when you respect Jesus' authority. During some of the worst times in Israel's history, they suffered precisely because they rejected God's authority. Second Chronicles 15 tells us that in those days, just one example among many, Israel was without the true God, without a priest to teach, and without a law. And so in those days, it was not safe to travel about, for all the inhabitants of the land were in great turmoil and under every kind of distress. Yeah, we live in a time when people are rejecting authority right and left, and it's why we're experiencing the misery that we are. But Jesus invites us to receive his authority because that's where we find blessing and that's where we find freedom. And I love how C.S. Lewis writes about this in Mere Christianity. He says, you know, if you look at a dog wild in, in the wilderness, out in the woods, roaming through Tacoma like a pack was this last week, a wild dog is not actually free at all. It's a slave to its appetites. It's a slave to its circumstances. It's a slave to its situation. A wild dog is not free. It's when you take the dog and bring it into your home and you domesticate it and you train it and you raise it, that's when the dog flourishes and becomes more than just an animal and becomes part of your family. It is increased by coming under your authority. And the same thing is true for you and I. We are increased in our experience of who we are and who God is when we come under Jesus' authority. You will find yourself when you surrender to Jesus' authority. So let me ask you again, how much authority does he have in your life? How much have you yielded? How much is your faith like this Roman centurion's? Lord, you're the master. What you say goes. Can he change your mind? Can he confront you? Can he give you direction? He says all sorts of things to us from his authority. And you can test how much authority he has in your life by just reflecting on a few questions here. He says to honor your father and mother. Do you? He says you shouldn't murder either with your hands or with your tongue. Do you? He says you shouldn't lie about and slander other people. Do you? He says you shouldn't steal, whether overtly or surreptitiously, do you? He says you should honor the Sabbath, one day in seven, set aside to worship him, and love the family of believers, do you? He says you shouldn't worship other things like wealth, do you? I could go on and on. You know, when it comes to the issue of finances, I remember when Ron and I, as new believers, first learned about the principle of the tithe, not the rule of the tithe, but the principle the principle that we learn to experience God's provision and faithfulness in our life and his security when we give 10% of our income back to him. And that was mind-blowing. My family had never heard of such a thing. Her family didn't know anything like that. We came from, from places that didn't have that understanding. And well, pastor taught it. We look in the Bible. There it is. And so we started to do that. And what a life-changing thing that became. Does God have authority over your finances as you respect his authority? You experience him. The simple fact is that that's the shortest road 
to God's blessing. You know, if I could share a personal story again, back about 2008, remember when we had the last housing crisis? Some of us are old enough to remember that. And, you know, the things, prices were crashing and people were losing their homes and all that. It was only about a year and a half after we had moved here to Enumclaw. So our home in Coeur d'Alene that we lived in before, we had rented it out. And and the housing crisis developed, and here our renters suddenly moved out, and we had two homes and, you know, two mortgages, and it was like, oh, my goodness, I'm not sure we can do this. And, and then to make matters worse, when I drove to Coeur d'Alene to get the house ready so we could rent it to somebody else, we got there and found out that the people who had been living there for the last year and a half had completely trashed it. They had built a, a campfire in the living room floor. They had torn out windows. They had destroyed the deck. They had destroyed the bathrooms. I, my heart just aches to see what they had done to a home, and there was no reason for it. And uh, when seeing that, Rhonda and I realized there was thousands of dollars worth of repairs that need to be done before it could ever be rented, and that was just one more challenge. And I remember that her and I talked about it, and we said, boy, you know what? A lot of people are just walking away from their mortgages, letting it go back to the bank. Maybe we should do that. And as we talked about that and prayed about that, there was every reason in the world to do it. And one little voice, the voice of Jesus saying, hey, I want you to stand by your word. You gave your word. You signed the contract. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Do you trust me enough to do this my way? And we had a, we had a choice to make. And we looked at each other and said, you know what? When life is over, we want to be able to say that we trusted Jesus, that we had faith in his authority, that we obeyed his way of doing things. So we decided to, to grunt through that however we could. And day by day, God provided. We were eventually able to sell the home. And now we look back and say, thank you, Lord, for helping us respect your authority. God says you will experience his power as you respect his authority. Let me ask you again. Where in your life is he reaching? Is he offering his authority to you? And you're unwilling to receive it. Your temper, your tongue, your lust, your fears, your ambitions, your finances. God says, trust me. Life is full of choices like this. And even more deeply, the authority of Jesus is a blessing because it alone reaches our sins. Matthew tells us in chapter 9 that Jesus said, I have authority on earth to forgive your sins. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? I can't tell you how many times in 40 years of pastoring I've heard somebody say, I know God forgives me, but I can't forgive myself. And every time I hear that, I say, Jesus does not have enough authority in your life yet. You haven't surrendered to him yet. He has authority to forgive you, and when he forgives you, it doesn't matter if you do or not. Because he has. And there's a surrender that comes from that. But we experience it only as we accept his authority. And by the way, as we get ready to close right now, respecting his authority means that we receive his no as well as his yes. We receive his weight as well as his yes. To respect the authority of God is to embrace his sovereignty over my life and yours. Christian psychologist and author Dr. Larry Crabb tells the story of accidentally locking himself in his bathroom when he was a child. And once he realized what had happened, he panicked and started screaming for help. And his dad came right away, but instead of unlocking the door, his dad went outside, climbed through the window into the bathroom and sat down with him. Yeah, that's how 
kids grow up to be psychologists, I guess, by having dads like that. But he climbed in and he sat with him and he said, son, come here. I want to spend some time with you. And this is a great opportunity. He said, I was a little kid at the time. I didn't want that. I wanted you to unlock, I wanted him to unlock the door so I could go out and play. But Dr. Crabb writes, we think the Christian life is just God unlocking doors for us. But in Christ, God climbs through the window to sit with us. And he seems to think that that's more important than unlocking the door. Sometimes. And we scream. We say, if you love me, unlock the door. But he says, because I love you, I'm not going to lock the door. Not yet. Because I want to sit with you for a season. See, church, when we embrace the authority of God, we begin to experience him more. More deeply, more fully, more fatherly. When God reaches for authority in your life, it's because he wants you to experience him. Because he wants you to feel his nearness and his fatherhood. That's why the Bible says, for example, in 1 John 5, 14, this is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. You see, church, the authority of Jesus doesn't just mean we get what we want. It means that God gets what he wants. Our love, our joy, our peace, our patience, our freedom. When we accept his authority, we lose our fear. Just like those three young Hebrew men we read about in Daniel who, when facing Nebuchadnezzar, said this, if we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he'll rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he doesn't, we want you to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you've set up. <laughs> what were they saying? He's my authority. He's my king. He's my master over all my circumstances. The authority of Jesus sets us free from fear. And by the way, as we close this morning, what, what, what sort of ruler is this king who asks us to respect his authority? The next five verses, verses 11 to 15, where we finish this morning, picture his heart for us. The scripture says, soon after that, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went with him. And as he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out. A, a funeral procession was happening. And the dead person was the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. When the Lord saw her, catch this, his heart went out to her. And he said, don't cry. And then he went up and touched the coffin, and those carrying it stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, get up. And the dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Now, he was going to die again. But Jesus' heart in this moment is revealed to us. When he reaches for authority in your life, know that this is his heart in doing it. His heart is that you would experience him as he is, his fatherhood his power, his presence. This is the kind of master Jesus is, and this is his heart. And he invites you and me to receive his authority. Why does he praise this Roman centurion? Because this centurion from a life of soldiering gets it. He knows authority is real. He knows it's complete and absolute. And he surrendered to it. Do you? Let me finish with a story this morning. On June 6th, 2007, a 21-year-old man named Ben Carpenter drove his electric wheelchair into a crosswalk when the light changed so he could go at the corner of Red Arrow Highway and Hazen Street in Pawpaw, Michigan. 
At that exact moment, a semi-truck had pulled up, two trailers, big rig, and had come to a stop because the light was allowing the man to go. But, but as Ben was crossing, the power on his wheelchair suddenly cut out. And when the light changed from red to green, the truck driver, because he was looking over the cab and because he was way up high, couldn't see Ben down there. So he pulled forward in his truck to drive away. The truck struck Ben's wheelchair and turned it sideways and the handles locked into the grill of the truck and the truck began to pick up speed. A couple of miles later, Ben was doing 50 on the freeway in a wheelchair while people waved and tried to get the driver's attention. The driver just waved back. He thought people were being friendly. Fortunately, a couple of miles later, a couple of police officers spotted what was going down and they were able to get the truck to pull over. And Ben wasn't harmed, even though all the rubber was burned off his wheelchair wheels. And he said he thought he might have swallowed a few bugs along the way. But he said this. He said, I'm just glad someone with authority got involved. And Jesus comes to you and me right now. And he says, I have authority. Do you want me to get involved? I'm offering you my authority in your life. Will you receive it? Will you respect it? Will you submit to my authority? I'm here to bless you. Matter of fact, one of his greatest invitations over in Matthew 11 says this, Jesus speaking, he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Take my authority upon you. And learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart will find rest for your souls. Maybe your life feels like a wheelchair in the front of a semi going down the freeway. God says, I'm the one with authority who can change that if you will receive my authority into your life. So let me finish where we started. How much authority does Jesus have in your life? Where is he inviting you to surrender to his authority? in your fears, in your ambitions, in your temper, in your sexuality, in your finances. He's offering his authority to you right here and right now. If you receive it, you will experience him. Not only his power, but his fatherly delight in your embracing his authority. Would you bow your heads with me? Close your eyes this morning. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And Jesus, we thank you for revealing yourself to us. And Lord, when I think of that centurion who so deeply pleased you, God, I want to be like him. I want to be surrendered to your authority just like he was, that you might be pleased with me. This morning, church, if you're feeling the same thing, then allow him to have authority over that part of your life that the Holy Spirit's pointing to right now. Let him do it his way. He will meet you in the middle of it. And if you've never received Jesus' authority before, you can right here and right now. He comes and says, I can forgive your sins. I'm the only one who can. I am the only one who can. But I'm willing to do that for you. If you'll only ask me. If you'll only invite me to be your Savior. To be your Father. I'll do that in this moment. If that's you, he can hear your heart. You can speak to him right now and he'll hear you. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your authority 
God, as we go from here today, let it be with an awareness that you are our Lord. We pray for that. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me, church? Yeah. The next step after Easter is coming under his authority. So now may the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit go with you throughout this week. Go with God. Tell someone you love them. Have a great afternoon.